Before we start the show today, I just want to say some words about what's happening in Ukraine. Seeing the pictures and reading news stories about what's happening in that country because of a freaking megalomaniac is frankly unbelievable. Putin has lost his mind, and I, I can't stop seeing images of men and women, regular people that are lining up to be given a gun and go and fight the Russian army to protect their homes. I love history. And it's always shocking to me when you see history unfolding right in front of you. It's times like this that I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that it's slightly ridiculous to make a show about food when something like this is happening in the world. But I also know that there are a lot of fans of Let's Talk About Chef in Ukraine, and so today this show is for you. If you're in Ukraine, I hope that you stay safe and that you are okay. You are in my thoughts, and I'm sure you are in the thoughts of the entire LTAC family. I can't imagine living a regular life, cooking in a restaurant one day, having a job, having a family, and then being handed a machine gun the next day and going to the front line to fight for your right to be free. I can't imagine that. So this week, instead of asking you to donate to the show on Buy Me a Coffee... I want to tell you that every single dollar that gets donated to Buy Me a Coffee slash LTAC will be donated to United Help Ukraine. United Help Ukraine receives and distributes food and medical supplies to people in Ukraine, and they also aid Ukrainian soldiers and their families and help displace people from Crimea and eastern Ukraine and help raise awareness of the current situation that's happening. So let's raise some money for those who really need it right now. And I know that the Let's Talk About Chef family will rise up for the right reasons. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LTAC to donate. Good luck to all of you. And now we'll start the show. Pizza is one of the only things that is universally loved. I have never in all of my life met somebody who didn't like pizza. I have met people that don't like reading, that don't like music, that don't like summer, that despise Chinese food, but I have yet to meet somebody that does not like pizza. What if I told you that pizza is the world's most beloved food? that over 5 billion pizzas are sold across the globe annually, that 350 slices of pizza are eaten every single second of every single day, that the world pizza market is expected to make $223 billion this year, that Norway is actually the world's largest consumer of pizza. They eat 11 pounds of pizza per person every year and that 36% of Americans eat pizza for breakfast. That the first pizza parlor in North America was Lombardi's that opened in 1905 in New York City. And there, there we have something to talk about. When you have something that people love, that people crave, that people eat constantly, when you have a food that operates mostly on cash sales, and when in a place like New York you also have five families that run all of its organized crime, you have a situation. The Mafia in New York not only noticed the rise of pizza in New York, they also realized that it was a thing they could not only make tremendous amounts of money on, 
but also pizzerias were fantastic ways to launder money, distribute drugs, and use it to gain control of a city that has tried to fight against them for decades. This week, we are talking about the Mafia and their pizzerias. I'm Brian Clark, and this is Let's Talk About Chef. Beginning of the 1900s, over 4 million Italians sailed past the Statue of Liberty, went through Ellis Island and into New York City, making this city their new home. These were farmers, winemakers, shoemakers, mothers, children, everyday citizens. But mixed in amongst all those immigrants were other men, men who had a different kind of career. They were all part of the Costa Nostra or the Italian Mafia. The Mafia in Italy can stretch its history back to the Middle Ages, where it evolved over centuries in Sicily. Sicily is an island that, because of its position in the middle of the Mediterranean between North Africa and the Italian mainland, always had a long line of foreign invaders. For hundreds of years, the Sicilians had been ruled by other groups such as the Phoenicians, the Romans, the Arabs, and the French. Sicilians banded together in groups to protect themselves and carry out their own form of justice. In Sicily, the term mafioso initially had no criminal connotations and used to refer to a person who was suspicious of authority. Although its precise origins are unknown, the term mafia came from a Sicilian Arabic slang expression that means acting as a protector against the arrogance of the powerful. These groups morphed over time into clans or families that operated under secrecy and tradition, the Mafia Code of Conduct. By the 19th century, some of these groups had private armies who extorted protection money from wealthy landowners. These groups became the criminal mafia that we know today. In 1861, Sicily became a province of Italy, but chaos and crime were rampant and the Italian government spent years trying to establish itself. In the 1870s, Roman officials, in a last-ditch attempt for control, begged the Sicilian mafia clans to help them by going after dangerous independent criminal bands. In exchange, the government would look the other way as the Mafia continued to shake down wealthy landowners. Now, the government thought that they were being smart, and that the situation would be temporary, just until Rome gained control. But instead, the Mafia clans expanded their criminal activity and fully immersed themselves in politics. They became experts in corruption, and even the Catholic Church became involved with them. The Church used Mafia families to control its massive landholdings. As America began growing and the possibilities for money and control couldn't be ignored anymore, the families began sending people over to the New World to take control. 
And it was these men that arrived in New York that planned on doing just that. With the influx of Italians into America, pizzerias started popping up everywhere in the city, the first being Lombardi's. Back then, pizza was a source of pride. To be a pizza maker was a noble profession, and it was also something that the mafia in the city started to take advantage of. If you want to launder money that you got from illegal means, there is really no easier way than owning a pizzeria. Pizzeria is sold usually by the slice in Manhattan, and they were incredibly popular. If you sold 300 slices a day, it's really quite easy to say that you sold 500 and just put the money into the till that you got from ill-gotten gains so you can send it to the bank and magically it becomes legitimate. Money laundering in pizzerias was rampant leaving up into the 1930s, when mobster Al Capone started to get involved in the pizza business. Capone, along with his liquor bootlegging, also owned, among several other businesses, a cheese factory near Wisconsin called Fond du Lac, which still exists, by the way. He would have his henchmen intimidate New York pizza owners to buy his low-moisture, cheap cheese instead of real mozzarella being made in New York. If you didn't agree to his terms in sacrificing the quality of your pizza, your pizzeria got firebombed. And lots of pizzerias went up in flames throughout the five boroughs because of this arrangement. The Bonanno crime family took the low-moisture cheese scam even further by calling pizzerias and saying to the owner, Hey, if for some reason your cheese order doesn't show up this week, call this number and we'll take care of you. Sometimes, member of the family would show up in person to the pizzeria and simply hand them a business card and say the same thing and leave. Then, sure enough, that pizzeria's cheese supplier's truck would be stolen, or the office would be set on fire, and magically the business card with the phone number would be there with a the truck waiting to fulfill the order and lock you into the mob-run company. It should also be said that pizza was so important to Italians in the mob that out of respect to landmark pizzerias like Lombardo's, Patsy's, and John's Obliger, Capone's syndicate wasn't allowed to touch them, and they were allowed to continue using real mozzarella as long as they vowed to never sell pizza by the slice. That's why John's Pizzeria on Bleecker Street still has no slices written on the awning today. The Mafia is known for protection rackets. Essentially, you as an owner pay the mob money every week for protection from thefts and crime in your shop. But if you don't pay them, then they send in thieves and pickpockets and ruin your business so that you have no choice but to call and start paying them. But pizzerias were so important to Italian culture, and because the mob was making so much money from alcohol due to prohibition, they started to buy up legitimate businesses in Italy like tomato canning factories, flour factories, olive oil brands. Because of the success of the cheese company scam and how much money he was making, Capone was one of the first mobsters to, instead of asking for protection money from pizzerias, he would instead ask them to just use his quickly rising list of products, which is where the name Agromafia came from. The FBI rounded up a number of people and charged them with being part of an elaborate heroin distribution network in America. For some of the suspects, small-town pizza parlors were their cover. FBI agents who watched the Sicilian said the heroin and the millions of dollars in profits from heroin were often carried around in plain brown grocery bags. Of the 28 people that the Italian police asked us to arrest in the United States over the weekend, 22 of those were charged in that case. Are more arrests expected in this country? I think a great deal uh, more is, is going to flow from this. 
enforcement officials today announced what they call their biggest case yet in cracking a drug ring tied to organized crime and that funneled drugs from Italy through a chain of U.S. pizza parlors. Rita Braver reports. The government says the operation was masterminded by Sicilians and brought $1,650,000,000 worth of heroin into the United States over the past five years. The alleged American kingpin was Salvatore Toto Catalano, linked by the government to organized crime and owner of this bakery and pizza restaurant in Queens. In fact, so many of the dealings in this case took place in pizza parlors that federal officials have dubbed it the Pizza Connection. If you've seen The Godfather, then you know the main problem that the five families in New York were facing was what to do about drugs. Drugs, especially heroin, had the potential for making truckloads of money. But because of the code of conduct that the Mafia lives by, several families didn't want to get involved in the drug trade. With the end of Prohibition in America came a real problem for the mob, though, because their main source of income had dried up overnight. Drugs were a huge risk. And despite several families refusing to get involved, eventually importing drugs became a huge business that the Mafia controlled. Pizza was steadily climbing in popularity throughout this time, and not just in New York but across North America. And by the time pizza delivery became normal, the mob now had a perfect way to distribute drugs out of their pizza parlors. By 1987, then-prosecutor and not-Trump crony Rudy Giuliani gained fame for exposing a huge pizza drug ring that came to be known as the Pizza Connection. What he discovered was that using pizza shops as fronts, Sicilian Mafia associates in the United States were able to import 1,650 pounds of heroin hidden in Italian flour bags. 1,650 pounds of heroin has a street value of around $1.6 billion, and the mob from 1975 to 1984 used dozens of pizza parlors to import and deliver the drugs into the U.S. By the time it went to trial for over two years, Giuliani was one of the first to establish a clear line between the Sicilian Mafia, which were processing Turkish morphine in Palermo, and the Bonino crime family in New York City, who then, through their pizza parlors, were able to distribute across the entire United States and all the way up to Canada by shipping flour across the Detroit River into Windsor, Ontario. Despite the best efforts of the FBI, the Pizza Connection trial did little to curb America's appetite for heroin or pizza. Less than a decade later, famous original Ray's Pizza on 3rd Avenue near 43rd Street was found to be the headquarters for a major drug ring, and in cahoots with a Brooklyn butcher shop and cafe who moved tens of millions of dollars worth of cocaine and heroin across New York. And it's assumed that there are still pizzerias in New York and all over North America using pizza as a front for drug dealing. Who is it? It's Little Nero, sir. I have your pizza. Leave it on that doorstep and get the hell out of here. Okay. Um, well, what about the money? What money? Well, you have to pay for your pizza, sir. Fair effect. How much do I owe you? Uh, that'll be eleven eighty, sir. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Cheapskate. Hey, I'm gonna give you to the count of ten 
to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, ten. Pizza will never fade in popularity. It will always be around, and chances are so will the mob. You would think with the rise in technology at police disposal that the mafia would struggle to survive in the modern world, but by all accounts they're flourishing and more dangerous than ever. The American mafia today is involved in all manner of illegal activities including murder, extortion, corruption of public officials, gambling, racketeering, loan sharking, tax fraud, and stock manipulation to name a few. Back in Sicily, the Costa Nostra is alive and well, operating gambling dens and controlling drugs and prostitution all across Italy. And of course, they still operate countless pizzerias. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me, Brian Clark. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at chefbrianclark. The only reason Let's Talk About Chef is as popular as it is is because of listeners like you telling people about the show. So if you can let someone know about the podcast, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We will be back next week with another new episode. So until then, as always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service. Have a great week. And let's hope the war stops in Ukraine.